0: Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there.
1: This is Cliff Eidelman,
0: composer for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM.
1: Risk is our business.
2: It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics.
3: Now in standard orbit, sir.
2: <laughs> One of them Oh, thank you so much for joining us today. If you are looking for the Idic diversity throughout Star Trek Panel, you are in the right place. Woo-hoo. <laughs> so thank you so much for being here. Uh, we're going to quickly introduce ourselves. I am Brandi Jacola. I am a co-host on the podcast Live from the Edge about Star Trek Discovery on Trek FM. And it is a live broadcast reaction show. So when season three of Discovery comes about, you will see us every night the night after that new episode of Discovery airs. And will we, I say me, and Bruce Gibson from Literary Treks, also on Trek FM. Great guy,'ll uh, be talking about that latest episode of "Star Trek Discovery," live on YouTube on the Trek FM channel. Yes, it's scary, and it's great.:
4: it's so good. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, I'm Haley Stoddart. I co-host Standard Orbit, talk about the original series, which is really fun. I'm also on another network where I get to talk about Discovery as well, so that's really enjoyable. And the Orville. And the Orville, yes,
3: because they both exist. And they're both great. Uh, My name's Amy Nelson. I also am on Trek FM. I co-host Earl Grey, which is about Star Trek Next Generation. And I'm co-hosting... The main show, The Edge, uh, on Discovery.
0: And I am Zachary Fruling. I'm co-host of two podcasts on the Trek FM network. One, uh, Metatrex on Star Trek and philosophy, and two, The Journey on Star Trek Voyager.
2: Excellent. So, we have a lot of stuff to cover. (laughs) So, how about we just get started with our first entry in the world of Star Trek and diversity, which is the very beginning
4: Yes, so uh, I was kind of excited to kind of talk about this because it started everything, and I think what's really great is that we had so much diverse characters. The cast could have been all male, it could have been all white, and it wasn't. So we we get number one in the first, because I'm starting at the cage because I love that episode. We have our... Second in command is a female, which is, I think, fantastic. She was very strong. She was very determined. The crew listened to her, which was really great because they could have rode her off really easily. Um, so I thought that was fantastic. Um, we have Uhura once we start actually where no man has gone before. We have an African-American woman, and she's not just like in the background all the time. She actually has a role to play. She's not a nurse. She's not... A yeoman. She could have been a yeoman, just bringing captain stuff every now and then, but she wasn't. She was very integral to the crew. And again, I think everybody kind of listened to her because she was she was pretty badass. So, <laughs> um, And then also I think what's great, we do have our yeoman, Rand. Um, if anyone else really likes her character as much as I do, I think she was phenomenal. Um, it's really sad that they kind of didn't have her as much as they could have. But I appreciated every time that I got to see her. I think her character was really strong. She had a really great relationship with Sulu, which was really nice. I loved those moments when we get to see her. And despite what happens to her throughout the episode, she's able to stand up for herself. The captain does listen to her as well, even though she's just kind of bringing him his coffee. She's just bringing him reports and stuff. And I think that was really great. We also have uh, our first Asian-American actor, and George Takei, we have him on the helm, and I, (laughs) just like Sulu, he's so fun um, in both iterations. We're not going to talk about the Kelvin films today, but uh, you have to give major props because Sulu is really, really wonderful. Um, I know that in the time frame of the 60s, George was not out as a gay character. He wasn't out as a gay man, but he did come out in 2005, and so I think that's really phenomenal that... At the time, probably nobody knew because it would have been a bad thing. But I love that we have that in our first person who ever was a gay actor on Star Trek. Um, And then, of course, you know, we have Spock and we have an alien on the ship, which is great. Um, Who doesn't love Spock? So uh, that's kind of where I went with. And we're going to go on to
3: TNG. Amy, are you going to take over? Yeah, get on my readers here. Uh, so a couple of things with Next Gen that I really loved um, was seeing we've got Guinan was played by Whoopi Goldberg. And uh, I've heard her speak at uh, conventions and how she credits Nichelle Nichols for having seen a black woman on TV and how that inspired her into her acting career because she just had never seen that. So that story is is always so wonderful and we love having Whoopi Goldberg on Next Gen. Uh, Another opportunity I had was to interview Dwight Schultz who plays uh, Reginald Barkley and he has in you know in him doing conventions and stuff and people talking to him they said you know we really appreciate how you played Barkley and how he might have been on the spectrum. Um, so getting that so early in the late 80s and 90s was really good to see that on television as a representation. And as I was thinking about diversity in Star Trek I wanted to sort of highlight the non-traditional roles that we get to see in the 80s and 90s. And what I love when we get season one is we have Tasha Yar, and she is a security officer, not just a security person, but she is the head of security. And so a non-traditional role is that woman being in the security just is amazing. And uh, I just think Tasha... Unfortunately, we lost her during season one. Um, But, you know, Denise Crosby um, really did a good job in playing that role that was, uh, you just didn't see that. Um, I also, my favorite character is Deanna Troy. And what I love with her is that she's on the bridge, again, this non-traditional role of bringing forward the idea of mental health into the workplace, and that that is something that needs to be addressed. Um, It's, you know, part of your job performance, part of your life, is, is how are you mentally, and bringing that, it just... Again, think back to the 80s and 90s. That was not talked about. Um, And so I appreciate what uh, Troy brings to that. Um, Again, another non-traditional role, Crusher being a doctor. And not the fact that she's a doctor, but again, she is chief medical officer. She is in administration. And when you look at any position or career field in, again, the 80s, 90s, women were not in that high administrative level. And so we have her not only chief medical officer, but then in season two, she goes to run Starfleet Medical. And so, again, having a woman in administrative position, very, very influential. And then last, I just wanted to, again, bring up Geordie LaForge, played by LeVar Burton. Uh, Again, we have this African-American, again, in administrative position. And at the time, you look at the 80s, and 90s, you did not see a lot of African Americans, and we have him playing chief engineer. Um, you know, very smart, intelligent, um, and that again is just shows that representation and diversity that Star Trek, I think, really brings to the forefront in the next generation. I yeah, and
4: Jordy's my favorite.
3: So. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would get in trouble by Haley if I didn't bring up Geordie. <laughs>
4: So I think what's really great is we see this progression. So we've seen it from the original series. We see it in TNG. And then we get to Deep Space Nine, where our head person, the main character on our show, is an African-American actor and Avery Brooks with Cisco. And I loved his relationship. Again, he has his son with him who is also an African American actor. And I love this relationship and it shows that men can have strong relationship with their children and have these wonderful relationships being a single parent and showing that it's not easy and it's not hard because usually at this time you see women playing single parents in TV struggling and so I think that
3: was really great. Can I just interject? Because in general you've got Worf being the single dad, yep. but not doing it well. <laughs> I think we all can agree on that. So yeah, to have Cisco and Jake and to see it celebrated, again, African-American, but single dad, this is amazing and so forward thinking. I, I love their relationship. And I like the
4: counteraction because we see Worf and Alexander in Deep Space Nine and he still sucks at yes. it. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, it's really great. We still have some strong female characters in our main cast. So we've got um, Nana Visitor playing Major Kira. Um, she is a power force. I would not mess with her. <laughs> at all, um, but she's really great, and then I think it's really nice that she pushes back with Cisco. She pushes back with him, and especially in the beginning, they don't have that great relationship, and I really enjoy that, and I think that's wonderful. And then we also get Dax, and our first iteration, I should say, Jadzia Dax, specifically, and Terry Farrell is... does. A wonderful job playing this character who has all these different roles and all these different personalities inside her. Um, I work in the mental health field, and I've, I've worked with some people who have MPD, and it's not easy to work with these people. So I think it's really great that this character has all these personalities from all these past lives and is still able to be a pretty normal person, I would say. Um, and then again, we do see uh, Michael Dorn as wharf. So we've got a really nice cast that I think really brings about that African-American actors can play vital, important roles in television, which I think was really great about the 90s that we started to see that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to move on to talk about Voyager. and. Wager's interesting because you can go down the list and think of the different uh, diverse crew members we've got. You know, we've got Captain Janeway, the first female captain as a series lead in Star Trek. We've got a female chief engineer and half Klingon in the form of Buana Torres. Um, It's an inherently diverse crew because we have the uh, Starfleet and we have the Maquis together mingled. Um, We have Native Americans. We have in the form of Commander Chakotay, so a strong Native American representation. Uh, And we could go down the list. You know, we've got aliens, we've got uh, Neelix, we've got Kess, we've got the Borg. So it's an inherently diverse crew. But as I I think about diversity in Star Trek in general, and I was was thinking about this in terms of Voyager, but uh, all of Star Trek, all the series we're talking about, um, Star Trek, I'm get. i trying to take this sort of critical perspective on it. Like, Star Trek is diverse on the one hand. But it's also kind of hegemonic. Like, it's okay to be in Starfleet as long as you act like Starfleet. Like, you can be a Klingon in Starfleet, but you can't act too much like a Klingon. You can be a Romulan in Starfleet if Romulans were in Starfleet. You can't act too much like a Romulan. Um, And even Commander Chakotay, you know, uh, he's not only kind of a stereotypical portrayal of Native Americans, but he has to kind of do it in secret. He closes himself in his quarters to do his little, you know, to put his medicine basket together. It's very kind of closed off and secretive. So even though Star Trek is very inclusive in terms of of cast members and in terms of representation, I worry that the Federation and Starfleet is actually a little hegemonic and drives you towards being normative rather than too diverse. I'm curious what everyone thinks about, about that point.
3: I have had that exact same struggle uh, thinking about it, especially with Discovery, and we'll, we'll get there, I'm sure, but, you know, the Klingons and how they perceived the Starfleet, because that's exactly, we are going to remain Klingon, and the Federation wants to take over and change us, and it's It's that battle between diversity, but then yet being unified. How can you be unified if you're not having that unity yeah,
4: like you you can be us, but you you have to be like us, but you can if you join us, you have to kind of ascribe to the values that we have and kind of set aside the values that you have
3: from your culture Is that so way how does that yeah fit in. Is, is that really diversity? I
0: guess that's my question. What is Star Trek's overall philosophy of diversity? It's, you know, it's very inclusive, but what is the over... And you can it's one thing to go down the list and say it's inclusive in this way. There's this group and this group and this group and this group that are all represented. represented. But what is the overall principle? Uh, you know, to what extent um, is, is inclusiveness the norm? And, what, and to what extent do you have to become like everyone else in some sense to be part of Starfleet and the Federation?
2: Well, the way that I look at it is Starfleet existed before the Federation. It was a human construct. And so, unfortunately, as humans, we all know, we have a tendency to try to fit everything into the same box, and whatever doesn't fit in that box, we want to just get rid of. And I think that it's t- going to take, in, if, if we were to get to that Star Trek future, I think it would take centuries to get to the point where we would be like yeah come on in klingons come on in andorians we'll we'll welcome everybody but here's the code of conduct you, you need to adhere to so and i can kind of understand why cuz it's kind of it's it's the same as getting a new job there is going to always be a code of conduct conduct that you have to adhere to no matter what race you are no matter what gender you identify as etc that's just something to protect Everybody and the people you interact with. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that I think that's where that whole idea comes from and not necessarily an idea of trying to make everybody the same.
0: I'm thinking of that scene in TNG, and Amy, you know what I'm talking about, when uh, Worf kills Duras. Oh, yeah. Right? and And later later in the episode in Captain Picard's ready room, Captain Picard basically tells him, you know, there's, what, 23 races of people on the Enterprise and they've all chosen to stir, serve Starfleet. And if yeah. they can't, they should just resign. Like, they're exactly. not welcome if they can't follow the rules.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> mm. It's a sticky wicket. It really is.
0: It doesn't sound too inclusive in that regard,
1: right? I don't well,
2: know. It, well, and again, it's... it's You can make arguments on both sides of that. So there's no... I don't think we're going to come to any definitive conclusion today. (laughs) But I totally understand the the point of view, and I agree that that is something that I've always had that little niggle in my head about Mm -hmm. as well.
4: Well, I kind of look at it as you were mentioning about, you know, code of conduct in your workforce. So, again, I work in behavioral health, and... I have my ethics that I have to follow, but I'm still allowed like my little individualistic stuff. Like I have tattoos, and it's totally fine as long as they're not super offensive. I have purple in my hair. It's totally fine. Like I'm not going to lose my job for that. But some people might be like, well, you're not typical of of this. Why are you allowed to have this? Not everybody else you work with has tattoos or colors their hair, funky colors. And so I think there's those little things that say, okay, yes, you are part of a larger group, but then still within that, you're allowed that wiggle room.
0: Mm-hmm. Like Worf has, has his baldric, and yeah. the Bajorans have their earrings, and so on.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Well, Bajorans weren't allowed to have their earrings at first oh, until right. Roe. I'd Roe. Forgotten. She brings it. She Roe fixed one. it for everybody, so we have her to <laughs> thank. <laughs> So
4: I kind of look at it that
3: way a little bit, I think, it's what you're talking about a little bit. Well, and I think it goes to do you want to be a part of something? So in looking at the job situation, yeah, I work, I'm a teacher, so I have my teacher code, and it's very, very strict, and there's things that I cannot do socially and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. You do them. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, but... So then you've got people who are going to work for themselves, right? So then they get to create their own code. Uh, but then if their business becomes too large, then they're going to hire people. But now if I am started the business, now you have to follow my code because it's my business. And you get large enough, and then you've got an Apple, and you've got a Google, and their philosophy. So people are willing to give up surrender their philosophy to join to be a part of something larger is sort of well, how any, i look Any society at it.
0: does that but we give up certain rights in order to have certain right. privileges right so exactly.
3: mm-hmm. we can still have diversity within that but it's not your philosophy unless you are the creator comment yeah thinking that you guys are talking about maybe yeah
4: Yeah. You can blame the philosopher down here on yes. the set. <laughs> he, he's the one that... Guilty as you know,
0: charged.
4: <laughs> he teaches yeah. philosophy. I veer
0: towards the philosophical. I can't help it. <laughs>
4: But yeah, so like it was kind of that diversity of the cast and it can meld into the very much the diversity of you know how Starfleet is and, and do we have this diversity really or do we not? Yeah. It can it can mold into that. But I, we really were kind of talking about how we have this diversity of this cast. And again, we're gonna get to discovery, but I think that's got the most diversity. I
1: think yes, hit, sir. Oh um, <laughs> There's one thing that I that um don't adhere to federation rules. Mm-hmm. Is that because they brought um, the human race in? Because they have their <laughs> rituals. They have. They keep their room at a certain temperature. Um, they object to the smell of humans. They, you know, they have their set. They're almost seem like a, a higher set of federation uh, employees because they are not employees, but members because they did bring the humans in. Uh, and the other races, the non-that we won't, I would talk about brain rate later, because the brain rate until the end of uh, deep space small, I mean deep space nine, um, didn't
2: change, didn't follow along, because women aren't to be naked, not to be
1: in and they follow a, a set pattern that was set in the 50s, and set for us. But the Vulcans don't. The Vulcans get to change, and the, the Klingons saw that, said, well, they change. Why can't we keep some of our cultural diversity? And then the Pajoran said the same thing. They I mean how many celebrations Pajoran celebrations were on that
0: deep space on? So it sounds like a classic line drawing problem. Like you know, in order to be part of a larger society you have to normalize to some degree, but it's it's an open question, like how much at any given society uh, you know, how much do they need to give up in order to be part of the federation? And how much can they, how much of their own culture and traditions and, and frankly, laws and rules can they maintain? I don't think it's clear at all. It's just, sounds like a classic line drawing problem, though. Like, you have to normalize a little bit, but it's not totally clear how much.
3: Well, and that leads us into enterprise, because to Paul, and that's sort of where we get that with the volcans Oh, yeah. A lot in Enterprise.
2: <laughs> yeah, you do see that a lot. In fact, let's talk about Enterprise. Because unfortunately, despite the fact that this was 2001, uh, there is not a lot of diversity in the crew or casting. A lot of white guys. A lot of straight white guys. So here's the diversity that we do have. Uh, obviously, T'Pol, played uh, by, by Jolene Blaylock, And honestly... You know by looking at her that she was brought on the show for the, to, for to appeal to men, because they dress her in really tight clothes all the time. Those skimpy pajamas. Eh. But yeah, but she she made that part way more than that. Yeah. To Paul was amazing. Yes, she had her things where she had to have nose, her nose. Stimuli blocked by Dr. Flox, another diverse character, that, uh, so that she couldn't smell the dog and so she couldn't smell humans. And she is, as far as the timeline, she is the first Vulcan to serve more than a couple of weeks on a human starship. And uh, she grows and changes throughout the series in ways that I don't know any of us expected to see. And I'm one of those people that kind of doesn't like the whole Trillium-D addiction, but I do understand that it opened another facet of her character where she lost some of that control over her emotions, and that damage ended up being permanent, that she would always have a harder time controlling her emotions, which she already had that problem, according to her mother. So, And another interesting thing is that uh, they originally wanted this character to be a young T'Pauw, but there were rights issues. And so they're like, well, let's just change a few things, and now she's T'Pol. So, uh, but I'm a huge fan of T'Pol. And Travis Mayweather, yay! Black man, woo! So, unfortunately, they had no idea what to do with this character. No idea. He was often injured or incapacitated in some way, just to, just like, we don't know what to do do with travis and even in the episodes in which he's really present like the seventh for for instance if you guys have seen that episode it's uh paul has to track down a criminal that she lost track of when she was in the vulcan secret service and so she uh and, and travis comes along and all he does is stand around and look menacing that's pretty much all he does for that entire episode i'm like Ugh.
3: Which is so sad because coming from Deep Space Nine with the number yeah. of African-American characters and writing them well yes. and having good stories. And then yes. and then they totally Travis. backslide. Yeah, they just
2: totally backslide. I personally love Travis. Uh, I love his boomer history because we hadn't really ever yes. seen boomers in Star Trek before, and that was a whole different thing, a whole different way of looking at space travel and yeah. things that you can do with your life. Mm-hmm. And so Outside I... Outside of the Federation. Exactly. Which we didn't see that much of. We saw almost none of that. <laughs> so it was nice to know, yes, there were still cargo ships out there. And another thing that I found interesting was that they made him an ensign instead of a lieutenant. Now, the story goes, and I don't have confirmation of this, that they felt that if he were a lieutenant and this and Malcolm Reed was also a lieutenant and was obviously an older person, that it wouldn't be believable. Okay, I would love to believe that that Starfleet is not ageist. That come one, come all, whatever age you are, if you have the aptitude and the desire to serve, come on in. So who cares if Malcolm Reed was a lieutenant and so was Mayweather? What difference would it have made? And I find it actually kind of offensive, too, that they're like, ah, no, the black guy, he's just going to be an ensign. And I'm sure that's not really the mindset that they had, but that's kind of what it looks like. This
0: may be giving the writers a little too much credit.
2: You're probably right.
0: (laughs) Does the fact that Enterprise just takes place, you know, 100 years or so before the original series, was the casting for that intentional to show that Starfleet mm. still had some progress to go in terms of diversity?
2: You know, I would love to believe that, but I don't think they were thinking about that at all.
0: I'm o- seriously <laughs> overthinking it there, probably. Yeah,
2: I, I, don't, I don't have enough faith in the writers to believe that. I'm sorry. Uh, another character that I personally love, but a lot of people don't love so much, Hoshi Sato. Played by Linda Park. Now, uh, Hoshi is actually known as, in the series, she's Japanese. She was born in Kyoto, Japan. But Linda Park is actually Korean-American. So it's uh, one of those things where it's like, oh, just any Asian sort of thing. But Linda was great. I love Linda Park. And I think that Hoshi, even though she was not necessarily a more major character, she still did more than Travis. She still got to do more things than Travis. Things that I didn't like that they did to her was this whole fear. Claustrophobia, I totally get, though. I am claustrophobic, and that uh, (laughs) there is an episode, Shockwave Part 2, where she has to crawl through some vents, and I can't watch that. I can't watch it. I can't. And just tell me when it's over. And I can't watch it because I know that feeling. And I think it has to do with my sisters um, holding me down and tickle torturing me when I was very young.
3: I endured that
2: too. (laughs) Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that, it's mean. But Hoshi is one of the basically progenitors of the universal translator. Without Hoshi, probably wouldn't have the universal translator working as well as it does. But not only that, she has this aptitude for being able to hear a language and start to interpret what the common words are and then build an actual translation from that. that. That level of talent is just mind-blowing to me. And there are many times where she saves the day. And there are times when she can't figure it out. And she has to have help. But uh, I, I actually really enjoy her character and she does go down as the only on-screen character ever shown to have a good time on Risa. Oh, that is true. Yep. And the only other diversity here that uh, that I'm going to touch on is of course Dr. Flocks. Yes, played by a straight white guy, but John Billingsley is the bomb, you guys. And uh, this is the first time we see the Denobulans, and sadly have never seen them since. I would love to see the denobulins again on screen. The Denobulans, uh, each of them have three wives, and each of the wives have three husbands. And so that makes a total of possibility of 720 relationships in one family unit. Ooh, I, I know, exactly. <laughs> and of which there's about 42 possible romantic relationships available there <laughs> but it, it, it never really talks about whether denobulans are bisexual so we don't really know that they may just be male and female uh, but the wonderful thing about phlox is not only his he kind of like the ship's counselor but he also integrates technology and natural remedies to get the job done he doesn't rely completely on either one. But if there is a way to do it naturally, he'll try that first. And he, he honestly is, I think, how do I, how do I say this in a way that will make sense in my jumbled brain? I think that he is shown to be one of the people that kind of brings about an idea that s- someday actually translates into the prime directive. Because there's an episode called Dear Doctor. If you've seen Enterprise, you know what I'm talking about, where he has to figure out why these two cultures, why one is dying out and the other is starting to evolve and what they do about that. And he actually finds a cure for the people that are dying, but he's not sure that it, he should give it to them because it's their natural evolution. Yeah. I don't know how anyone would make that decision without the prime directive. And even then, that's a really hard decision to make. And also, one last thing about Dr. Phlox is that in season four, after the whole war with the Zindi, and they go back to Earth, and he's in a a restaurant bar-slash-place with other crewmates, and he gets basically attacked by humans, and how many times have we seen that? Just in our own daily lives. Oh, aliens were the ones who came and took 6 million lives on our planet. Therefore, all aliens are bad. How do, you, how do we come to that conclusion in the 22nd century? Well, they did. And unfortunately, we're still in that as well. We haven't progressed beyond that. How many of us have had something happen to us by one person and then judge an entire group of people by that circumstance. We need to evolve past, past that so much.
4: I agree. So I'm really excited. I know we're kind of all excited. We're going to talk about Discovery. We've saved this. Uh, sorry we've gone through everything really quick, but it's just because there is it's so, so much. much diversity in the casting of Discovery. And I think it's fantastic that even though it's taken us this long, it's 2019, well, 2018 is when it came out, that it's 2017. Taken, oh, you're right. Yeah. Um, that we finally reached this where we can show such Diverse characters, but also the casting is incredibly diverse. And we have openly gay characters. I, for one, I'm going to mention it right now. I'm really excited that we have George. Um, I cannot say his last name. I'm sorry. Yeah, you've got it, and I can't say it. Anyway, but he's in a wheelchair, and he doesn't have any lines, but you see him in the background of a couple episodes. And I think that's fantastic that it shows that, again, like Jordy, who chose not to have his, his sight restored, we have somebody who says, no, I'm going to be this character. And the fact that the writers and the directors decided, hey, we're going to bring on a character who's in a wheelchair, even though we are, are so far advanced in our technology that he could walk, that they choose not to, and I—that's one of my favorite things.
2: I believe his last name is pronounced alavizos That's my best pronunciation. It's spelled A-L-E-V-I-Z-O-S. So go, ahead. go with that. Uh, I'm going to insert something right now. That is uh, a statement from a friend of mine that I promised him I would do this, and I, w- I would do this anyway. But. uh And he's a friend of Amy's, too. Christopher Littlefield uh, is a friend of mine, and he is a gay man. And he wanted to say these couple of things as a member of the LGBTQ community. Representation for people of color feels so much more apparent in New Trek. The level of diversity is beautiful and way overdue. Disco's crew is just inspiring and gorgeous. As a member of the LGBTQ community, it's so touching and affirming that we finally have regular and actual LGBTQ representation, without asterisks, on Star Trek. My great wish is that, in the future, there be more acknowledgement and acceptance of the trans community, as well as gender non-binary and non-conforming individuals in Trek. And more men in scants, please. (laughs) <laughs> I do have to say, Chris looks great in his scant, you guys. I have seen the pictures.
0: So despite my earlier concerns about Star Trek and what I would call hegemony, this unification and you know, lack of diversity in Star Trek, the history of, of Star Trek shows an increase in inclusiveness, an increase in representation from series to series to series. You could plausibly say that. So the natural question is, what's the future direction of diversity in Star Trek? Where is there still room for improvement? And what is... What, if there is a, a philosophy of diversity, and I don't have an answer to this question because I'm, I'm relying on the old philosopher trick. If you don't have an answer, just ask a question. So, I'm just asking a question to you guys. If there is a philosophy of diversity in Star Trek, um, and there's room for improvement, what's the philosophy? What's and what's the future room for improvement in Star Trek? The next series we get.
3: Oh, Star Trek Picard. Oh,
0: Picard. We could talk about Picard, Amy, <laughs> because I'll there
3: is <laughs> new series that we are so excited to talk about. I'm very looking forward to Star Trek Picard. Um, you know, I think it was a long time coming, getting Culber and Stamets and, you know, openly non astric you know, uh, relationship on screen, and yeah. it's beautiful. I, I really don't know anyone who doesn't enjoy... You're gonna make me cry. I know. We cry almost every week when we talk about it, but like, the relationship that Colburn and Stamets have is so natural, so beautiful, so celebrated, and it, it's, it, finally, and it's like, why did it take 2017 to get there? So, in that aspect, Star Trek is definitely behind the curve when they really should have been out in front, um, and you, you can get into, you know, Paramount and CBS and all that behind the scenes, but... It, it's just finally to see that. So where do we have to go? Star uh, Trek's always got, going forward, right? We have it to go is, somewhere. You know, we've got finally now Senequa Martin-Green as a lead female, which is... Who is um, not the commander. Right? Because yep. uh, we had that with Janeway, so we've got that. We've got now, uh, I don't know, maybe a lesbian couple? We've got lots of diversity... I don't where. I what hasn't. I want to.
2: Trans and non-binary.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, and I think you know we have Tilly, and I know there's been speculation that she's on the spectrum somewhere, and I think having more inclusivity of mental health right. and having you know we have um, Cornwell, who is a admiral, but she was a psychologist. I think including people who are saying I'm going to embrace my disability, even though. The tech of what we have in Star Trek says that they don't have to live that way. I think people who are going to embrace that and say, yes, I have this, but it doesn't stop me.
0: That's a really good point, because even way back in the next generation, we had Counselor Troy, so we did have mental health. Issues going on somewhat, you never in TV, saw it. but yeah, it was always very neat and tight. Off screen, exactly. it right.
2: was
4: off screen, and so I think embracing that and and showing that that is true because so many people struggle with it and they want to act like it's not there. And I think showing it on screen says, okay, yes, these are just characters that are written, but I can relate to that because I'm like that. Yeah. I I have people who say I have friends that have said I relate to Tilly. Simply because she's like me. She has anxiety and she has all of this. But, hey, she's still going to the CPT program. She wants to be a captain someday. And I think that shows that, hey, just because you have some, whether it's a physical disability or a mental disability, that doesn't stop you from doing something. So I think showing that more is absolutely beautiful, just from my perspective.
3: Which sort of contrast the idea of the future of where we are being healed by everything like there's no sickness right Mm -hmm. and so bones and crusher and they're able to you know do their medical tricorder and wow we're healed and so then finding that line because Jordy chooses not to have his eyes fixed you know uh are we getting to that well if we can fix anything am I going to fix my Do I have to? Awkwardness. Can I fix that if there's something not clicking in my brain? Can't I just fix that in the future? Is that the direction that Starfleet is going?
0: I don't know how to put this. That's a really interesting question. Like, How much of our psychology should be... I, I keep using fixed. this word "normalized," but fixed, yeah. right? There's a we we think about this biolo- biologically. There's sort of a proper functioning of our bodies. You could say maybe there's a proper functioning of our minds as well. To what extent should that be diverse, and should there be uh, quirkiness, and should there be issues, and to what extent should we try to fix them and wave a wave a you know 24th century magic wand over someone to fix their psychology?
3: Right. I mean, like drugs do now. If you If your brain isn't producing the right chemical, do you fix it? Or is, I don't know. We're looking
0: to Haley. I know, I know,
4: you're looking to the psychologist. Um, I think, you know, there is that line, and I think, but that's a personal thing. And that's what I love about this, is that they're choosing to say, okay, you know, like Jordy did. I Mm -hmm. choose not to have my eyes fixed. I know I could, but I don't want to. I appreciate what I have, Um, you know, with Tilly, if, you know, she's got that anxiety, she chooses to live with it, Mm -hmm. you know, and she says, okay, again, you know, this is something I'm going to conquer and I'm going to live with this, but I'm not going to sit there and say, okay, like we have it now where you can cherry pick out genes As an embryo is developing, you can say, I don't want this because it's going to develop into this. And I think that's the same thing. Do you want to choose to live with it and conquer it and use it as a motivator, or do you want to say, no, I'm just going to have it fixed so I can just be like everybody else? And that's what I love about it, that they're choosing not to do that. Yeah.
2: I am a person who has bipolar disorder. And yes, I do take medication for that, I had to mess around with several medications before I found something that I felt worked for me. But there was one medication before the one I found that works for me that not only took away the anxiety, but it also took away the happiness. I felt nothing. I was never excited, but I was never sad. And I didn't realize this was happening until... I went to a performance of Les Miserables, which is a a Broadway musical that just makes me cry the entire time, and I didn't shed one tear. And I thought, this is wrong. I can't do this. And so I found another medication. Now, this medication, it doesn't eliminate my anxiety completely, but it makes me able to get out of bed in the morning and not want to throw myself in front of a bus. And so I'm grateful for that level that I can function pretty much like a normal human being, but also still feel the ups and downs. I think the ups and downs are necessary because if we don't have downs, how do we know what's up? And vice versa. So, and also as I'm also a very... Um, I say sensitive person, but I'm not sensitive as, as, as though I'm easily offended. But I, this is the way I explain it. I feel everything all the time and there is no off switch. And there are days where I wish that I could flick a switch and turn that off. Because all I feel is pain and horrible things. But if I didn't have that, how would I also not? I would never feel these Wonderful highs, like being here, even though being around this many people is an assault on my senses every second of the time I'm here. But it's worth it to me, because there are so many joyful experiences that come out of this instead. So would I choose to fix my bipolar disorder? I don't think that I would. Because I found a thing that works for me. I think you're hitting at the
0: heart of the issue. That what, what, For me, what complicates this is it's tied up with our personal identity. Like, yeah. Your culture is tied to your personal identity. Your psychology is tied to your personal identity. Mm-hmm. So, it, again, no answers here, but it's a really interesting question. Which of those things are circumstantial? You know, which parts of your culture are you willing to give up? Which part of your psychology are, are um, less tied to your personal identity? And which of those things do you cling to? You know, if you're Klingon, you want to wear your jerk because you're Klingon. If you're Bajoran, you've got to wear your earring. Um, you know, if you have mental health issues, which of those are so closely tied to who you are and which ones are circumstantial and you're willing to fix? I think it's different from person to person, but it's a very interesting way to frame the question.
2: Yes, you've been waiting so long. You're patient. Yep. <laughs> There are communities right now that do
1: choose. Um, I'm a member of the uh, hearing in very deaf community, and I have families that uh, choose. They're deaf. They choose because that's who they are. They are deaf Americans, citizens of the, of the world, and they have their own community, and that's their choice. Could they sit there and could they sit? Sorry, really. Could they sit there and choose not to have um, period impairment or cochlear implants or so like that? Yes. Certain parents said, no, my child is deaf. I'm deaf. We're deaf. It is not in culture. It's genetic. And, and that's their choice. Now, their child could be here. And then on the other side, I always these people who say, well, these poor kids, they don't have a choice. Yeah, the kids don't have a choice. Well, it's sometimes a
0: fine line between progress and eugenics, right? <laughs> so, and we know in future Star Trek history, we've got eugenics, eugenic wars and whatnot. But by the 23rd and 24th century, we've wised up and we we let people make a choice. Like Geordi choose to, chooses to keep his disability and makes the most of it. And it's part of his identity in some sense. But yeah, I don't, I don't, we don't want to misread this and say that you know, in the 23rd and 24th century, it's all Nazi Germany and eugenics, right? So, yeah. i have to defer to yeah on this
2: one. Oh, <laughs> Why is everyone looking at me? <laughs> oh, that's that's fine. I'm fine with that. That's the duck, sorry. Um, <laughs> I I honestly was not aware of the level events anti-Semitism that there was. Yeah. So I I don't know how qualified I am to answer that question. Personally, I think that. Anyone who calls out someone's differences and uses it to make them feel less than is a terrible person. So the people calling out those things, they're very insecure and very cowardly. And they are not people that I would want to associate with. Because honestly, I mean, I, I know somewhat of discrimination because I am female. I identify as female. And there are situations where I have been overlooked or pushed aside simply because of my gender identity. And I don't like that we're still in that place. And I think, obviously, in that far in the future, we would hope that those things don't still happen, but we do still see them happen. Humanity is not perfect. The galaxy isn't perfect. There's always going to be people out there that are going to look at that one difference, point it out, and use that as a way to discredit or you know, disavow a person or alien or what have you and it's, you know I, uh, I just there's always something someone's always got to bring up something, don't they?
0: Well, I have something to add on to that is with Leonard
3: Nimoy being a Jew and bringing his Judaism into the yeah. culture
2: Yes, do you yes. know what this is? This is a prayer, this is a blessing mm-hmm. every time you're doing this you're blessing someone
4: You have a so. question? Um, or well, comment? Two things
3: really, i was talking about health, actually really kind of, for me,
1: sevens right? um, being part of the collective where you didn't feel and individual because um, She saw that as a perfection, but as she started to become
2: more of an individual, she and, you know, the
3: Mm-hmm. Outcast. Yeah. Absolutely. And Jonathan Frakes has said and wished and even asked that the person, the actor playing Soren would have been male, um, but they chose to go with the female because... Yeah, that would have just pushed it even that much further. And, yeah, to hear Jonathan Frakes talk about it and that missed opportunity. But, yeah, that's, yeah, it is a very good episode.
2: I would also quickly recommend the Enterprise episode, Cogenitor. It has a lot of the same themes in that as well. And, unfortunately, we are out of time, everyone. I am so very sorry. But we are out of time, and we appreciate all of you coming today. Uh, We We appreciate how this all evolved in the conversation that we had, so thank you guys so much for that. And
3: Come on up. We have uh, some giveaways, and uh, let's just go down and let them know where they can reach us online, social media. Okay, well you
2: can find me on Twitter at Brandywine12. It's B-R-A-N-D-I, W-I-N-E, the number 12. Uh, You can also find me on Instagram as just Brandy Jacola like this name card also says, and uh, you can, when new episodes of Discovery Air, come and join us on Live from the Edge on the Trek FM uh, YouTube channel, or you can listen to the podcast on the Trek FM network the day after the live broadcast. My husband and I also have a podcast called the Dark Corner Podcast where we talk about all the nerdy things, and uh, we, we sometimes swear. Okay, I sometimes swear. <laughs>
4: You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Trucky01D. It's pretty easy to find me. Uh, I will bring you
3: nerdy stuff, I promise. I'm on uh, Twitter as well, at Miss Amy Nelson, and then of course on Truck FM.
0: And like I mentioned at the beginning of the uh, panel, uh, you can find me on Trek FM on two podcasts, Metatrex and To The Journey, and you can find me on Twitter. It's just my name, at Zachary Frueling. We should say here, too, we have Larry Nemechek in the audience. I see him from here. He's got a panel at 7 o'clock, so we're going to give a quick plug for his panel at 7 o'clock.
4: Yes, definitely.
0: The only other Trek thing today, so make, exactly sure, you, true. make sure you catch that.
4: Thank you guys Thank for you coming. So we we'll you, want to you. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Previously on Trek.fm. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast.
3: Wait, so what switched between your two lists?
1: Calypso comes in. Runaway comes in second oh, of right, importance. Right. Okay, but Calypso comes in second in enhancement of the season.
3: Okay, I see and what really you did
1: even there. importance, I could probably in my head flip Calypso and Runaway because I don't mm-hmm. need Runaway. Literary
0: treks. I, I find that. The characters don't quite look like they're actors, you're right. And I think that's because I'm, I started to see something, little flashes in both Pike's face and in Number One's face. Is this a representation, and maybe this is totally me reading in way too deep, but is Pike kind of our John F. Kennedy? In the sense that Jeffrey Hunter died tragically, Pike, Pike's story ended quite tragically as the first pilot. And I think we've been sort of trying to sort of what-if him right? And I think a lot of people, what if the death and loss of Kennedy in the 1960s as well, which I think also has a lot to do with the hopeful nature of why Star Trek TOS was the way it was, right? Earl Grey. <laughs> imagine imagine if aliens came to uh, FTLV or something like
2: that and said, hey, we're making first contact.
0: It'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, wow, that's an amazing cosplay. <laughs> Great cosplay, exactly. Or <laughs> your cosplay is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, you're like, you know what? You don't look Made like anybody China. who's been in Star Trek. What are you supposed to be? <laughs> and introducing our newest show, The Line, a Star Trek Picard podcast. Alternative factor is better than Nemesis. Alternative factors. I know you'll say alternative factors better than a lot of things, and I'll disagree.
2: <laughs> I, I'm going to abstain from an opinion there.
1: <laughs> Good, I win. <laughs> you guys don't fight me on that one.
2: There you go. yeah oh.
0: <laughs> Right, and abstentions as good as a a no, okay, or a (laughs) yes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
4: So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, you can get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and The Babel Conference. Type The Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm.com and click Discussion on the menu bar.
0: Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm.
4: Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, Dan Rhodes, and Mike Richards. Your contributions and support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit.
0: So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO.
4: You can find me on Twitter at Trekkie01D. You can also hear me talking about both Discovery and the Orville over on the Fandom Podcast Network's Discoville podcast that drops every week. So thanks for listening and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit. Thank you.